week's episode is brought to you by Support the Mountain's Herbal Parasite Cleanse. This formula targets the small and large intestinal tracts and larvae, the most broad-spectrum formula available today. 100% organic, formulated by Dr. Mikio Sanki, author of the Esoteric Acupuncture Series. For 10% off your first bottle, visit shopyogahub.com and use the coupon code CLEANSE at checkout. Hello and welcome to YHTV's nominated show, Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman. Greetings, Christina. <laughs> Greetings to you. Uh, life's good. <laughs> Life is always good. We've had such an exciting few weeks. It's wonderful to be able to share it with our community. Right. We've got some good shows to share with people. We're very happy about that. Uh, greetings, everyone. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman, and I will be your medical guide along with Christina as we travel through another quadrant uh, today of the healthcare galaxy searching for optimal health. I think we're going to find it today. Oh, every day. <laughs> every, every time we day. do a show. <laughs> every day. Uh, Christina, before we uh, continue and introduce our very special guest, do you want to tell the people how they can get in touch with us? Yes, absolutely. Um, though this is a show that we've recorded earlier, at any time during the show, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. And be sure to click submit, of course. Um, or you can call us at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK talk. Um, we really invite you and your questions. We will make sure to get them over to our special guest or Dr. Glenn Woolman and get back to you. Thank you, Glenn. You're welcome. I love that. And remember, even if you're listening to this on a podcast, you can get in touch with us. And even if it's later than the actual time that you're doing it, we will always get back to you. You know, Christina, we always talk about magical medical tour, magical I always think it's magical. Medical, it's always medical. But we don't really have the tour part. And today we're going to include the tour part. We have a very special guest with us, Dr. Sonam Dolma. She is from the Men Sikang Tibetan Medical and Astrological Institute of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, in Dharamsala, India. Dr. Dolma has not only practices medicine, but has translated two very special books from the fundamental text of Tibetan medicine into English. She travels around the United States, Europe, and Asian countries giving consultations, lectures, and short courses on the Tibetan system of medicine. And so we would like to introduce Dr. Sonam Dolma, and this is from a previous recording. Greetings. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Hello, Dr. Doma. Thank you so much for honoring our community. Yeah. <laughs> it's entirely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. Now, in case we ever get to another place of language, would you say that in your native language, what you just said to us once? That's beautiful. language. Perfect. Wow. Perfect. I like <clears throat> that. So, uh, Sonam, if I may call you Sonam. Please do. Thank you. As the medical guide, I always like to tell our viewers and listeners where I think we're going to go today. But of course, 
we never know at the end what's going to come up. But basically, we first want to find out a little bit about you, what got you into medicine. We want to talk about what you enjoy about medicine. And then we want to talk about the things that you do both in your country and around the world, uh, promoting good health and the way that you promote it. We also want to talk about Tibetan medicine just in general. So people may want to uh, seek out a Tibetan healer for Definitely. certain things. Definitely. That sounds good to you? Super. Excellent. I like that. So let's start from the beginning. When, why, how, where, what got you interested in becoming a healer in medicine? Well, there's too many W's out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, pick, a, pick a W. Yeah, to start with, uh, when I got interested in medicine is uh, like uh, my memory takes it back. Uh, as a matter of fact, I grew up in an orphanage in Tibetan Homes Foundation in Missouri. Mm -hmm. uh, though I was born in Nepal, my parents are carpet weavers working from 8 in the morning till 8 at night and they make sure they send all the five children to school. So the best possibility is to get a place in Tibetan Homes Foundation in Missouri, which harbors Tibetan children who have no parents, semi-parents or parents who come from poor background. Mm -hmm. So they provide free education, free boarding, right till you're up on your feet. So that's where I came from. So I remember my foster mother telling me as a child, whenever we used to have that group play, so whenever it was my time, so I always act like a doctor and they always need somebody to be sick or dead. Uh. So <laughs> <laughs> That's quite extreme. <laughs> and then as I was growing up, I have a lot of interest in science. I remember my uh, homemates bringing in dead rabbits or dead rodents and giving it to me to do the dissection. And it was just a fascinating thing for me to do it. And How I, old were you at that time? Uh, I started, uh, I was sent to this orphanage when I was only four. Yeah, mm. because I have four younger siblings, so it's not possible for my parents to provide for all because they're working so hard from eight in the morning till eight at night. And it's a strong motivation for them to not to let, the, let their children do the same thing. So putting them in the school is their priority. Mm. So that's how I end up. And I'm very grateful for my parents for letting me have that opportunity. Mm. Yeah. So as I was growing up, uh, uh, I'm very strongly affiliated to science. But later on, I don't know with what twist of turn or which wind came by that when I was going in high school, I just uh, jumped from science stream to humanity, art stream. Ah. And then I, so I just went with the flow of the went or rather the floor of the river and then I did my bachelor and master in English literature mm. and later on I realized that there's an opportunity to study medicine in Dharamsala Tibetan Medical Institute. Of course we do have the awareness of the existing of Tibetan medicine. I've myself tried Tibetan medicine if, uh, when I was uh, growing up in Missouri and I found it very benefiting. So that kind of uh, uh, strong ad admiration appreciation of this system was there, but mm. that was very much dormant. But later on, after I finished my master's degree and was just looking forward what to do, whether to go for library science or to computer science, so I was just in a dilemma. Then somebody told me there's a good opportunity to do study. To, 
and Tibetan medicine in Dharamsala. So I picked the opportunity, spent nearly two years to refine my Tibetan language because studying Tibetan medicine is not easy task. You have mm. to study seven long years. And it's not only the duration of the study because our institute provide free education. Mm. Yeah, but sitting, getting the opportunity is very difficult. Mm. Like after every two, three years, they uh, collect medical students and astro students and uh, there were 23 seats available and they would come nearly 300 students contesting for it. So and the examination of course you do have an uh, English paper but mostly it's Tibetan because all the lectures conducted in the medical college was in solely in Tibetan language. So the level of your command on the Tibetan literacy is very strongly uh, uh, required. Mm -hmm. So therefore I spent nearly two years refining my Tibetan command, language command, and then I was lucky enough to sit in the ninth batch of Tibetan medical studies in Menzikang and spend those years learning Tibetan medicine. And the final year we have to sit in the internship under senior doctor. And now you can count like 16 years of experience after graduating. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Very the nice. ninth batch. Yes. What does that mean? I'm not sure what that is. Oh, well, uh, to take a little bit further back, uh, our institute, the Medical and Astro Institute of His Holiness the Dalai Lama was first established in 1961, to be more precise, on 23rd March 1961, when His Holiness escaped from Tibet in 59. So it was in 1961 when Menzi was established and of course, they started from scratch with mm. just one teacher and just handful of students over there. And they started from two-room cottage. And this cottage was very popular, Chopra's cottage. It's still existing there. People can go up and see it's, it's a beautiful view up in the mountain, peaceful serenity. So that's where where are this uh, multi-infrastructure existing Menzikang mm. came from there. So starting from 1961, they started bringing in students who were in interested to learn Tibetan medicine and practice it. So after a certain interval of years, so they bring in one batch. And the ones, this is the, this batch of students, graduates, another batch comes in because we are living in a very uh, small space, small community, very limited financial support mm -hmm. because we are uh, at certain time we are at the mercy of donation and sponsors from the Western countries, and uh, very small amount what His Holiness can provide for us. So everything, virtually, when Menzikang Tibetan Medical Institute was first established, it was started from the very pocket of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Mm. So starting from there, now we have covered fifty-three long years. And I'm very happy to tell uh, everybody who are connected with us through this program that uh, our institute is doing a massive charity work. It's not only uh, the modus operandi of our institute is to preserve a culture, that is Tibetan medicine and astrology, and to also inculcate the younger generation in imbibing the virtue and wisdom mm. of our tradition. And uh, along with that, we also provide health service to our community and Indian brothers and sisters, and also the wider population of the world who seek health 
mm. from Tibetan medicine. So if I just give you an example, like last year alone, our institute has provided around 123 million Indian rupees of free medicine. We provide free Very medicine nice. for senior citizens over 35 years of age. We provide free medicine for Tibetans who are newly arrival from Tibetan because they don't have skill and regular source of income. We give free medicine for destitute families. We provide concessional medicine for all the monks and nuns and students because they have no regular source of in, uh, income. So this is one big investment mm -hmm. we are putting. And the second investment we are putting is on the research work. In Mensikang Art Institute, we have nearly eight uh, academic departments. So among this, obviously, Tibetan Medical and Astro College is very important. Then we have a pharmacy, pharmaceutical department, which also have a joining department, uh, which uh, it's based on research, like quality control. Mm -hmm. So, and then we have herbal product research department. If we get time, we can introduce uh, our audience, your audience, uh, on some of our herbal products. We have wonderful things out there. And then we have a metrometrical department who does uh, researches on Tibetan medicinal plants, minerals, mm. like that. And not only that, they also do comparative studies on the herbs that are used in Tibetan medicine and other uh, uh, systems of medicine like Ayurveda, Yunani, Chinese, and other folk medicine as well. And uh, a few years back, I also remember when I was studying Tibetan medicine that uh, a university in Vienna, in Austria, they're also doing a research on plants, uh, uh, collaborating with the institute. So they're doing some wonderful research on that. And we are also doing a lot of cultivation on the herbs, which are like uh, near to extinction, like Minotaur Himalayan herbs mm. uh, are in the danger of extinction. So we are also mm. doing like, uh, we have a big herbarium, we have a big plot for cultivation so that we don't mm. harm the, what do you say, ecosystem mm. of the uh, environment. And then we also have the clinical research department, which does clinical research on the efficacy of Tibetan medicine on some specific disease. Of course, from our point of view, we don't need to do these researches because our history few thousand years of experience, uh, expertise, knowledge and wisdom is good enough for us to gain our confidence. But this is a modern world, the dominance of the West over the East, right. so <laughs> to be fair. So we need to prove our authenticity. In olden days, people don't need to prove yourself. Yeah, like the flower just needs to remain in the garden and the beers flocks to them. But now we are coming to a, such a degenerated age that flower has to tell the bees, oh, I have the nectar in here. <laughs> so <laughs> something like that. Uh, so uh, now the time has shown a great need mm -hmm. that we need to speak the language of the modern world through research to show the efficacy of our mm -hmm. uh, medicine for certain illnesses. And in our own community level, we are also doing a lot of survey on the prevalence of many illnesses like hypertension, like hepatitis, because you know the emotional trauma mm -hmm. and uh, that kind of continuous threat of annihilation of uh, very identity is always pricking at the backbone of Tibetan people. So there's always that 
constant trauma affects lingering in Tibetan community. So there's a lot of uh, people, not only inside Tibet, but also in the diaspora, that people have many episodes with uh, upcoming hypertension and many of uh, depression like that. Compared to the Western, obviously, it's not that pronounced, but still then, compared to our elder generation's health mm -hmm. parameter, we are subjected to much of this kind of problem. So uh, we are also doing a certain kind of survey where we, we know uh, what's the uh, level of the parameter that our health danger are confined to. And like that, we have other research departments too. Mm, isn't that amazing, um, Glenn, that we hear right now that there's hypertension and stress in Tibet. And we speak about that quite often on our show because here in North America, there is, it's rampant. Everybody, uh, children, you know, elderly, is, is all that hypertension, the stress. And so it seems like it's across the world, wherever Definitely. we are. Definitely. Yeah, it would be interesting to, and, and you as a translator of ancient Tibetan mm. uh, medical uh, books and treatises, etc., I wonder if they had information on those things at that time. Some of the illnesses that we see in the modern world now, were they mentioned in those books or did you have to go through creation and increase the knowledge to Tibetan medicine to treat some of these modern diseases? Is that clear? Yeah, Glenn, probably you would be uh, wonderstruck because if I tell you in a medical text, the Fourth Tantra, it has very clearly predicted that during, there would come a time, and they have even specified the length of the time, at the degeneration time, at the 10th stage of the 15th cycle of the prevalence of the Buddha teaching, there would come a time when people engage in so many of negativities mm -hmm. and indulges in so much mm -hmm. of misdeed and disloyalty, disharmony, in the environment and among the clan, among the population, among the Dharma mm. Sangha that would disturb the harmony of the environment. When we say environment, it does not mean the air or the plant. We see even we include also the spirits that's in there. So the, we say that due to that kind of jealousy, animosity, grudge, hatred, that kind of belligerent nature brings up the disharmony and it disturbs the harmony and equilibrium of all the beings that exist, then this was result in such a kind mm. of violent eruption of diseases, like many of the, what do you say, mm, uh, epidemic mm -hmm. that would come <clears throat> at this time. So the time we are going right now, very strongly sees of this and uh, a text also tells you about many of the epidemic nature disease, like uh, it very clearly tells about some disease which are so so subtle that very fine changes can bring about a drastic mm. uh, manifestation in the body. And then hypertension and stress is not a big thing. It's mm. very gross compared to all the subtle disequilibriums. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think that Western medicine approaches these subtleties the same way that Tibetan medicine does? Uh, yes and no both. Good answer. Yes, <laughs> yes because okay. 
there are a greater number of uh, physicians in the school medicine, I would say the allopathic medicine, who are very compassionate, mm. very concentrate, very focused on human value. So these people definitely are working to eliminate this problem. And they are really a good messenger and a good medium to get rid of this problem. But I'm sorry to say, equally, it's not only in Western medicine, but also in other systems of medicine. Mm -hmm. It's very individual. Like, there are people who use this system mm -hmm. as a mechanism, as a medium, as a mode to serve their own short-term purposes. Mm -hmm. So these are the devils which are everywhere. You can't help it. Mm -hmm. Now, earlier when you were giving us a little bit of an introduction into some of the research that you do, you compare healing methods uh, Ayurvedic, for example, maybe traditional Asian medicine, Western medicine. Uh, what does Tibetan medicine have to add to the process of pick one type of a, an illness, whatever you like, and give us an example of how Tibetan and Ayurvedic and traditional Asian and Western medicine may look at those differently and what you would add to that? Uh, on a very outline, one uh, very prominent difference as between this oriental and occidental system of medicine is that in the allopathic system of the western system, they are very specified. They are very segmental. Whereas most of the oriental system of medicine, like Tibetan medicine, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, Yunani, Sita, they are more of a holistic system. And if, if, if I'm allowed to speak specifically of Tibetan medicine, I would say Tibetan medicine is uh, not only holistic, but integral system of medicine, which look at a person as a whole. Whole in a sense that we do not look mind as a different integral, body as a different integral. We do not. We do not polarize these two important mm. factors mm -hmm. of whole mm. We see them together, a human physical body with a mind, palpating with consciousness. Mm. So when these come together, then we have the whole thing. So that's the outer superficial differences. But when we go more deeper into it, if you ask me to pick up one particular problem, then I would say there are a lot of, all, all, all illnesses can be addressed from completely different uh, angle of observation. Let's see these many of the mental problems. Like in school medicine, they have a different approach from the psychiatric. They have a completely different mode of answering those problems. Whereas in Oriental medicine, particularly in Tibetan medicine, we see these mental illnesses not only as a chemical reaction in the body, mm -hmm. we see it as an energy difference. We Tibetan medicine talk about three principal energies of Lung, Tiba, Pekin, which are composites Say that of the again, please. Lung, Tipa and Pekin. Okay. Lung, we believe, composites of air element. Tipa, composites of fire element. Pekin of earth and water element. So all this mental problem, we attribute more to the disturbance of the wind or the lung nature. Mm. Apart from that, individual history plays a very important role. Then individual's constitution, personality, nature, again plays a very important role. Even a person who dwells in a circumstances, environment, which is very much traumatic, if his nature is calm, mm -hmm. pecking type, what we say, very tolerant, then he would not end up being in a mental hospital. So likewise, season also plays an important role. Diet, lifestyle, 
very important. Even if you're born with a person with the nature having a very uh, cool predisposition, if you're put in a circumstances where you indulge a lot of diet, drinks, having very light, deprived of nutrition, or like what do you say, mm, uh, lack of uh, nutrients, nutrients in a sense, lack of consistency, lack of substances, then ultimately there would be a huge amount of wind accumulated in your body. Despite you being a very uh, firm or substance predisposition, then there's every possibility that you would end up getting into a mental problem. Then lifestyle equally plays an important role. And then very important factor, your karma plays an important role yeah. too. So a lot of, so that's how we look into it in this. When, that was very good, thank you. That was well, really helpful to me. Christina knows I all know. this already. <laughs> no, if I had my ball, I would be bouncing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was very good. You'll do the calibration, don't yeah. worry. <laughs> when I, each, each time you speak of something, I'm sure both of us are just thinking of many questions. The next question. Right, or, or the next 12 questions. <laughs> but you travel around the world, yes. and you give lectures, mm -hmm. and you talk to, do you talk to medical students or do you talk to physicians or do you talk to the public uh, when you give your lectures that's one question and the sec I told you I have many right yes and so the second part of it is when you are lecturing what is the focus of most of your lectures what is the message that you're bringing well uh, uh, to be frankly it depends if the audience is small and very uh, specific like a medical field then definitely what the audience demands you to speak. Obviously, obviously that subject would be talked, dealt with. But then if it's a specific medical field, then we would be very technical. But if it's a general public, then we would give a short introduction of what Tibetan medicine actually is, how we look into individuality, how we look, how we understand body in a healthy state, how we understand body in a disease state. Mm. According to Tibetan medicine, disease and healthy is nothing but balance and imbalance. Once your balance is in a healthy state, in a dynamic equilibrium, mm -hmm, homeostatic equilibrium to be more technical, then we are in health. And once this, this harmony is disturbed, not necessarily disturbed in this place, even if it's little increase or little decreased or deficit, Nothing but a manifestation of illness. So this is where the differences or the thin line of the health and disease is. So in a public audience, I normally take them a little bit to the background of what Tibetan medicine, how we look into human being, how we look into mind, and how Tibetan medicine talk about the origin or the cause or the source of human body is, human mind is. Because in school medicine, you say where your body comes from, the zygote, the sperm, the ovum, and all this thing, but when we trace and when we try to look into where your mind comes from, then you're lost. <laughs> so we tell That's them clearly. We tell them clearly how Tibetan medicine tells where you are born, how your physical body is, comes from the previous continent, how your mind comes from the previous continent of your previous life's mm. consciousness. So. Uh, we also take them about uh, how we look into patient. Like many people are just wonderstruck with how dependent doctors, without any help of the modern sophisticated gadgets, 
just could go into your body and see what's problem with you. I can just look into your urine. I'll just observe you virtually. Even the color of the clothes that you're taking could give me a good indication of uh -oh. what your problem <laughs> is. So be careful. And then I can check your pulse, and then I can come up with the diagnosis. We don't need light, no internet, no wiring around. Just six fingers. Do you, do you take the pulse like I know in many of the Oriental? so to speak, mm -hmm. they take pulse, look at the tongue. Yes, definitely. And, and that's definitely. part of Tibetan medicine. Definitely. So uh, during the public talks, I tell people a little bit about how a diagnostic principle is, how a diagnostic method is, how the therapeutic principle is, how the therapeutic method is. So give them a little bit of like uh, outline of how mm -hmm. Tibetan medicine works. Do you get a sense when you're speaking with uh, physicians, medical students that are training in other ways that they're interested and want to learn more? Oh, don't ask me that. I wasn't even thinking about that. There's such a big hunger, <laughs> especially from the Western school practitioners, mm. to learn about Tibetan medicine. And right now, just last week, our institute has finished giving a 10-day course to a group of medical doctors and nurses coming from Minnesota University. Ah. Dr. Cameron was conducting this for the last seven years, I think. So every Good. year she comes with a group of doctors and nurses. And then, they are, and then uh, this was before I left India, a group of French doctors, some 40-something, who visited Dharamsala, and they had two, three days uh, no, courses in Tibetan medicine, very crash courses. How can you just uh, put seven years of seven studies years. into three? It's not possible still then. It's just to say, oh, this is how the pickle tastes. So, <laughs> 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 so yeah, we do. We do. We do have enormous interest putting in, in Tibetan medicine. Mm -hmm. So therefore, our doctors, the lecturers in um, medical and astro college are just filled with headache. I would not say hypertension, but headache for... <laughs> running one courses after another and then they also have to manage our own student mm. so yeah. just with that episode you would uh, have an inkling of how hectic and how many like demand for Tibetan medicine not only on a patient eager to get uh, health mm -hmm. uh, benefit from Tibetan medicine but also from academic in mm -hmm. intellectual uh -huh. level too mm. And uh, speaking a little bit about the research, and all this research I told you are not done independently by institute, in collaboration with other universities. We are doing research in collaboration with the uh, National Medicine uh, Institute in Israel. We also have wow. uh, research uh, with uh, some university in U United States, uh, probably I'm not allowed to name out. Uh, then also from England, uh, yeah. and. Uh, all in the Institute of Medical Science in New Delhi, which is the Apex Medical Institute in India, have a strong in collaboration mm. with Tibetan medicine, particularly in research parameters. And when you say research, is, is that in uh, all the different areas of the medicine, like from the herbal, the plants, to the, the physical body? Yeah, definitely. Because as I told you, now there's a need of the time that we need to speak 
the world's language. And the world's language is scientific research. Mm -hmm. So when we do scientific research, we need to follow the Western protocol. Mm -hmm. So this protocol is established based on the modern school medicine, mm -hmm. modern scientific research. So definitely all these biomedical uh, testing, all those uh, like collaboration of the physical, uh, all these kind of things are integrated into it. The most important thing is approach on how you see that particular illnesses from Tibetan way of interpretation. And if it's something to do with the efficacy of Tibetan herbs, then the compounded is traditional one, not based on the school medicine mm -hmm. or the uh, pharmaceutical products. Mm -hmm. um, a, a question, because uh, the, the Western Hemisphere seems to be um, a little more aware now of Ayurvedic medicine. In your case, how different, if we are to compare the two, how different are the two? Western, uh, you mean the Ayurvedic and the Tibetan medicine? Yes. Very good question. And this is a field where there's a lot of ignorance existing, still existing. Like, uh, to sum up, to make a long story short, like in 2007, uh, the Indian government, uh, because all those Himalayan region, mm. the people living there, the Arunachal Pradesh, the Assam, and Meghalaya, not very much, but Ladakh, Jammu Kashmir, Himachal, greater part of the Himachal Pradesh, all this Himalayan population, though politically Indian, mm. culturally very Tibetan. They follow Buddhism, they've used the Tibetan language, yeah? Maybe a little bit dialect different, but the scripts are all Tibetan. So culturally, they are more Tibetan. So there's a trend or the political demand or the citizen demand that the Tibetan medicine needs to be recognized officially from by the Indian government. Because mm. so far, there was mm. only belief that Tibetan medicine is a medicine that was coming with a Tibetan refugee from Tibet. Of course, that's a fact. But there's also a good number of population who are benefited from centuries and centuries together who are good followers of this tradition and culture. So with this process, the Indian government has uh, uh, constituted a panel of experts who will study whether Tibetan medicine, and there was a general misconception with everybody that Tibetan medicine is nothing but Ayurveda. Mm. And since we are living in India, Ayurveda being a host country and host medicine, we give a lot of reverence, but, and they also have a feeling that, oh, Tibet is a place, Buddhism, Buddhism came from India. So obviously Tibetan medicine has a strong inclination, affinity with Buddhism. So no doubt that Tibetan medicine is nothing but Ayurveda. Hmm. Oh. This is a big misconception. So we're going to change that here today. Definitely. Right. <laughs> this, is today, right? this is the place. Okay. <laughs> so, this panel of experts. Pay attention, uh, world. Please do, very seriously. And I'm speaking it with capital letters. <laughs> <laughs> A big font? Yeah, yeah, day. yeah. Bold it. <laughs> okay. Oops. So, this panel of experts mm, ha held a big meeting, like nearly a week long. Of course, they had initial investigation, literary investigation, blah, 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 visiting different sites and everything that was initially done. So from academic level, from literary level, mm -hmm. so these experts, like good number of uh, Ayurvedic doctors, learned, mm -hmm. acquired, named, and 
also Tibetan doctors, senior doctors. I happen to be working there because I work as a translator. So not representing Tibetan medicine as such, I, my uh, role was only as a translator. So witnessing that, on each topic, Ayurveda address and then Tibetan doctor address. Then in the summary, at the end of seven rigorous mind-boiling, <laughs> boggling discussion, we came to the conclusion that there are many terms and many conceptions which look similar. But in the deeper level, when we interpret, entirely different. Mm. An approach to particular diseases, entirely different. And if I give you an example, in Ayurveda, they talk about seven bodily constitution, seven, three uh, principal energies or the, the Vata Pita Kata, mm -hmm. yeah? and uh, Tibetan also s talks about this. So, but when we go deeper, what is Lung? What is Vayu? What is Tipa in Tibetan? And what is Pita in Ayurveda? Uh -huh. yeah? mm -hmm. What is Pagan in Tibetan? What is Kapha in Ayurveda? So they're referred in a similar way. Mm -hmm. But when we go deeper, different interpretation. Even the seven bodily constitution, People say, oh, I read they talk about seven bodily constitution. Tibetan medicine talks about seven bodily constitution. So people just stop it there. They never took the time to go deeper into it. And when we actually went there, the very seven different constitution differs. Not all, but few. So also like there are certain uh, parts which have very similarity, like also in China, in Tibetan medicine, a yin and yang factor, also in Tibetan medicine, hot and cold temperament, very, very mm -hmm. uh, compatible. The Yunani system of medicine, the four humors, very compared with Tibetan medicine, mm -hmm. the urine analysis, very cl uh, close affinity. But when you go deeper and when you make a big summary, then there's more differences rather than similarity. And uh, I have no discomfort with this small portion of uh, similarity because we are from same geographical existence, mm -hmm. somewhat same cultural background. So obviously a certain level of common should be there, otherwise we would be too alien. Mm -hmm. So I would say small portion of the system have a little common place in there, but when you go much deeper, mm -hmm. it's different. Mm. You know, it's interesting because aside from being a healer, you're also a translator, and you're taking some of these ancient scripts in ancient languages, maybe, that are possibly different than a little bit of the modern languages. And when you make those interpretations, that becomes what everyone's going to listen to and read and follow. So the importance of that is really, I know, especially in subtleties of so many things, a word can be used one way or another way. How do you collaborate with, or do you collaborate with other translators to say, am I, am I translating this correctly, or is there something that I need to know differently? Yeah, very good question. In a sense that uh, that you uh, seems to understand the headache of a translator. Mm. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, translation. Uh, okay, so translating on the table is okay, but translating a literary, particularly a literature, which dates back many, many centuries, like more than 1,000 years, mm -hmm. and then bringing it down into a contemporary language, 
is a big job. Definitely not an easy task. And particularly, it's not only the difference of the times, but difference of the language, difference of the culture. Mm -hmm. So there are many factors which means a lot in Tibetan language. But when you bring it out in English, sometimes you find good number of equivalent terms. These are fine, translation goes smoothly. But sometimes due to this vast disparity of the language background, certain thing which have so much intensity in Tibetan language, when we bring it out into a similar, a near word, then it becomes so light. Mm. Much of its profoundness just evaporates, lost in the thin air. Mm. So at that time, we are in a deep fixation. We are translating or transmitting one culture into the next. Then we have a big responsibility. And the modus operandi of this translation work by our institute, why didn't it start a years before our institute is running for the last 53 years? Why not ahead? Why only in 2001? Because since the late 1990s, they have coming up many uh, books on Tibetan medicine by Western writers, uh, many writers. Yeah. But uh, we also see that me, we in a sense, my seniors have seen uh, some distortion of meaning. So mm. this poses a great danger for the dilution, for the distortion of our culture in the long run. So therefore they decided, the governing body or the cultural committee decided that Mensikang, the official body of Tibetan medicine in diaspora should make it a point that we do a translation by the doctors mm. who are trained in Tibetan medicine, mm. who speak this language, who knows English, and so that they could make a genuine representation of what Tibetan medicine is. So this is how translation work came about. And to the second part of your question about how well, how faithful we are in the translation and how well we could justify to our work is, is the palpation of what actually is in translation. Mm -hmm. So just as I was telling you, with the worst differences in the cultural background, mm -hmm. and not to speak about the language and the grammatical uh, format, everything, it's very different. So you do, as I was telling you, the, the profoundness that you find in Tibetan, sometimes when you switch over to English, you just lost it. Then sometimes, not sometimes, many a time, there are words where you don't find in English at all. That happens in yeah. everything, yeah. in poetry and art. Yeah. When I go yeah. traveling around the world and see something like from India or Tibet or China or Japan, yes. and someone is trying to explain it to me, yeah. and they say English, it, it's just too, yeah. it doesn't have all the yeah, words. Yeah. And then so what we came up with, uh, we sat down, and then we discussed, and we said, what is our main purpose for whom we are translating? Are we translating for a small circle of experts, scholars, mm -hmm. or are we translating for a greater number of lay people? Mm -hmm. So our purpose mm -hmm. is to pass the knowledge, share our wisdom with a greater number of people. Mm -hmm. So that means we have to reach out to good number of lay people who have no inkling of Tibetan medicine, let alone Tibetan culture at large. So then we decided to remain many of those technical terms which do not have any equivalent in English. 
so we just let it remain in phonetics so that's how we do that and how well we could justify is uh, difficult for me to say but uh, probably it suffice if I say that we get good number of response appreciation particularly from physician inside Tibet mm. so I think uh, we are fairly justified in our translation and uh, uh, the first translation book uh, within two years we are completely out of the stock mm. so we are already have done with the second edition mm. and uh, let me also tell you the book we are translating is the fourth tantra um, the quintessential instruction on the science of healing of Tibetan medicine so it contains four tantra we have already translated three tantra the last one tantra the, the one we are doing is a big massive so hmm. this alone will bring out three volumes so we are in the process and uh, we are hoping to bring it out pretty soon and uh, and in this process of translation because you seem to be very uh, in deep into the translation uh, feeling and uh, these four tantras are covered in 156 chapters and written through 5,900 verses. Mm. So when you have to bring out these verses in prose, in English, mm -hmm. it's not an easy task. Yeah. And sometimes in these verses, you would come across mm. some inputs that that would carry, and if that very particular verses, when you refer mm. to the commentaries, Based on this uh, fourth tantra, the fundamental text, we have many commentaries. Mm. So when we go back to the commentaries mm -hmm. for one particular verses, you will turn nearly 30 pages in commentaries. So just Gosh. imagine, just imagine, we have to abridge all those 35, uh, nearly like that pages into few number of English vocabularies. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's, it's like the Chinese language. When, when you, we try to explain what we're saying, sometimes the one phrase, the one word, uh -huh. encompasses so much that you really cannot fulfill it with yeah, the definitely. translation in English. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Frustrating. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to change my yeah, well, environment. Try to be positive. I'm going to put on a blue vest right now to, my, to give you a different diagnosis. She's got your number now. I think I that's the next show after this that's is your diagnosis. <laughs> I want to ask you um, about, it's a double question. Sure. People that grow up in Tibet mm -hmm. and are treated through Tibetan medicine, and then end up moving to another country where mm -hmm. they don't practice Tibetan medicine. How do they deal with that? And the and the ver reverse of that is, say, an American or somebody that deals with Western medicine is visiting Tibet and gets sick and ends up at a at a Men Sikong. How do they? Re how do the two react when the Western is being treated by Tibetan and the Tibetan is being treated by Western? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, because you know the world uh, at this time is so open mm. and the modern allopathic medicine is available very freely in India mm. freely okay. I mean I don't mean free of course but right. available everywhere right. mm -hmm. and also in China mm -hmm. probably now it's becoming a major health provider mm 
So uh, people are quite uh, exposed to school medicine. So Tibetan people, when like immigrating here in America or West, uh, they do have a problem to see a Tibetan doctor. Therefore, why we we are here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to see a Western doctor is not a big problem for them. Not okay. a big problem because they know the system. Of mm. course, they don't know them technically, but they know what system actually is. But probably I would say they're not very satisfied because uh, I've come across many people who say one thing is difficult to get an appointment here, mm. to appointment with the doctor. And the second time, you get an appointment, but doctor don't give enough time. And uh, then mostly uh, depends on the like reports of all the investigation. Mm-hmm. So uh, the general uh, oriental people like uh, had a feeling, uh, I believe, I don't know how far I'm true, mm-hmm. but have a feeling that uh, the reverence or the, uh, what is he, mm, the esteem, the awe that they have in the oriental doctors is not much in the school medicine, uh, not from the intellectual, mm. but from the personal point of view, because uh, the doctors are more dependent on this investigation, mm-hmm. not on the individual, uh, I don't know, whatever, mm-hmm. it's like that. But people coming from the West to Asia, India, particularly the Tibetan community, I think Ayurveda Yunani also feel the same. Mm-hmm. So. When we receive a patient, we, we come across many patients who have completely lost their hope here and they have only like good two years or two months for survival mm. and then they want to just languish it. So they end up there, they meet with Tibetan doctors, get their pulse done, got the morning urine tested and and then they get some herbs or some decoction and some therapies, and then they find they find themselves living for many years. Mm. When you talk about uh, the clinic that you're at, are there many of those clinics now? Yeah, is- our institute has 56 branch clinics all over India. Okay. And we are rendering health services, as I told you, basically for all Tibetan people. Mm-hmm. And then we also have good number of clinics in Indian cities. These are mostly Indian uh, population and Indian common people have a strong love for Tibetan medicine. Mm. You won't believe in a clinic in New Delhi, in Nizamuddin, if you go one a, once a day, there are like three, four doctors and we have more than 500 patients. Then good. Mm. But no mm. waiting and everything is fine, huh? No, like uh, many people, since a doctor is not a mission, they can at the most see like 100 patients or 80 patients a day. Mm. Then rest uh, satisfy themselves by repeating the herbs. When we when you talk about the, the clinic mm-hmm. or the medicine, you also add the words at the end and uh, astro yes. or astrology. Yes. So that is part of the medicine yes, yes. there. Uh, uh, at- I would not say part of the medicine because okay. it's uh, related with medicine. Okay. would not part because... Uh, our institute runs on twin system, the Tibetan medicine and the astrology. It's independent system in itself, but has good connection with each other. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be interviewing someone. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, soon to, to learn about that. 
Uh, Christina, any thoughts on? I just find it so fascinating between the the Tibetan and the Ayurvedic, and here you are with your clinics in India. Now, do you also have clinics in Tibet as well? No, no. In Tibet, uh, let me also tell you that the mother institute of our institute is the institute called Menzikang in Lhasa, which was established by the 13th Dalai Lama in 1916. So that was the mother institute. Hmm. And after 1959, when His Holiness followed with all the Tibetans, came in, in exile in India, we re-established our government, our cultural mm. institute, our religious uh, uni monastic universities mm. there. So this is where our prison institute of Menzikang in Dharamsala was established in 1961 by the prison 14 Dalai Lama. Mm. So obviously Lhasa Menzikang has a good number of patients there. And let me tell you, I have read somewhere in, but that was in 2007, that uh, annual uh, net profit derived from Tibetan medicine is some 7 trillion yuan. From profit derived from Tibetan medicine alone. And I have also read that 80% of the postage that goes out of Tibet autonomous region into other part of China and outside world constitute Tibetan medicine and medicine products. Hmm. This is one of, Tibetan medicine is one of the most promising business now in Tibet, owned by uh, many uh, Han Chinese. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. But the sad thing is this a massive exploitation hmm. of the plants. This is a sad thing. Hmm. Hmm. Let's pray. Good thing prevails. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Are there any books that people, say, in this country or in other countries can read that would give them more information? Oh, on definitely, definitely. As I told you, we have already translated three tantras. We are working on the fourth. Three tantras are readily available. One can order it online. And if you happen to be in Dharamsala, other part of our uh, Tibetan community in Delhi, you can visit our institute, branch clinics, or shops over there. So it's readily available. You can visit Menzikang's website, www.men-d-kang.org. So it's readily available online. Oh, wonderful. And also, just to let you know, um, at the we will do another segment where they will share each product oh. and at least explain to us what they are, what their purpose and the books so that we can have one special just on all their products and books. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Wonderful. We're coming close to the end of the show and one of the traditions, which is a very ancient tradition of magical <laughs> medical tour, goes back, I don't even know how far it goes back, but we always ask our guest for a health tip. Okay. And we would like to know if you would honor us with something that you would teach us. Uh, to the people in the West. In to the people everywhere in the world. Everyone uh, listens to us. Okay. So I'll be more specific, if you permit me. So now that we are in America, and okay, also the Western European countries also included, I've observed that the diet culture and the lifestyle culture are the main culprit mm. of bringing in many disorders. Why people in the West have a lot of Alzheimer's? Why people invest a lot of Morbus Crohn? 
white people in Asia have a lot of cancer. Mm. Morbus Crohn is different, but cancer. In Tibetan medicine, we attribute its cause to indigestion. When I say indigestion, it does not mean the digestion of the physical food or the solid food particle. Mm -hmm. Digestion has different level. Mm. Different level. So we say cancer comes from our body, inability to digest, metabolize the food into further refined energy and retaining the morbid substances or the toxin in the body, which further remains in their context for prolonged length of time, which later solidifies and grows up into belligerents. So mm. we say that uh, diet and lifestyle plays a very important role. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about uh, the condition which actually give rise to illnesses, we say diet, lifestyle, season and spirits. So diet and lifestyle season very important. And here in the West, I have observed people indulging in such a diet culture. Okay. You wake up in the morning, open your fridge, just go out, grab a juice, pull it down, take a, what do you say? A smoothie. That, yeah, <laughs> the drink. Yeah, and um, milk jar and make your baby drink that cold milk yeah. and then fill your bowel with the yogurt, cold yogurt from the fridge and cold fruits in there, help yourself with that, rush to the work. And then for the lunch, you had a big bowl of salad, come back exhausted from work, then had a cold toast or cold bread or some cookies and then mm -hmm. again a few cold things. So that's the main, main, main culprit which brings in all cancer, which brings in all all kinds of uh, illnesses. Mm. So I think if the people in the West can, could, do little less of all these cold things, cold drinks, ice cold, everything, indulging in cold environment, if they can increase a little bit of more warm foods, mm. more cooked food, that would do a big, big help. More At natural least. food. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> no question about that. And at least if they can do the breakfast and dinner warm, mm. feed the children with warm breakfast, warm dinner, yeah. that itself would eliminate 50% of all the problems. Mm. Interesting. Beautiful. That was great. Bring on the heat. Yep. That's, <laughs> yep. that's right. But comes. then slow down your and stress. Slow, slow down the speed of the work that you're doing. I think we're going to look forward to having more interviews with you over time. If you're not tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, no. it's my pleasure. No, definitely, definitely. Even when you get pleasure. back home. Sure. Uh, Why not? We will, maybe even in the clinic one day, we'll definitely. see some of the people. Definitely. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Very sure, much so. Sure. Is there anything that you would like to bring up in the last few moments before we close that we haven't spoken about today? Uh, yeah. Mm very strongly, deep from my heart. The people in the West are very blessed. But I had a feeling that people don't realize that. They take everything granted and they forget to count their blessing. And if they start slowing down a little bit and look into self, look into others, 
how blessed they are. And just give a little thought on the value of relationship, family institution, loyalty, and repaying the kindness of others that have done to you. I think then this would be beautiful. And this would be beautiful. And one good remedy, I think, is to visit the developing countries. Let your children go to the developing countries. When you see the hard life in the S, how people could remain happy in that limited environment, coming back would turn them into a much happier soul, mm -hmm. definitely. Mm -hmm. That was beautiful. I would almost Wonderful. think that was another health tip. That, I was about <laughs> to say, that was one of the most powerful health tips yeah. that we have. <laughs> really, really, I, I concur with all that because it was my trips to Asia and the different parts that when I saw what I saw and spent months in those areas that when I realized the happiness and the joy, it doesn't take so much to have that. And Definitely. then you come here and so many don't have that happiness and joy. So it's that's a, one of the most beautiful, beautiful health tips, really. Yeah, beautiful. And Thank it's you. not Thank just for the for West, that. it's for the world. Yes, it is. <laughs> Thank you. We're really grateful to our very special guest, Dr. Sonam Dolma, for uh, sharing her expertise and wisdom with us today. And I'm grateful to all of my teachers and healers for allowing me to go on my journey Grateful to uh, Yoga Hub and Christina and all the people at Yoga Hub for doing what they do. And I would like to say that please join us again for another session as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy searching for optimal health. And until we see you again, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Many Put blessings. To chair. Chair. We have to learn this language. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, we'd like to thank Dr. Glenn Woolman, my wonderful co-host, for continuing to travel these orbits with me. <laughs> and uh, isn't this wonderful? The vision continues to expand and having all these lovely cultures and, and doctors from all over the world. Mm -hmm. uh, we are so honored, really. We are so honored. Um, and of course, you know, if you would like to get hold of Dr. Glenn Woolman, you can do so through his website at glennwoolman.com. And be sure to look up his metaphor square breath. That will help with the calming, the start of the calming and the breathing and the connecting with your body, mind, and spirit. And uh, I would like to also say that if you would like to, on the site, you will see a link, and that will be to the organization of the mensikang.org, mensikang.org. And there, I really encourage you to find out more about this organization. They're doing such brilliant, brilliant, wonderful work. And One Drop is a Thousand Waves, as uh, the more of us that connect with it and we can speak and share it with the next person, I think it would do a tremendous help for the peace and well-being of the world. And through there, you can also um, see that they, their products, their wonderful books and their herbal products, which, of course, we will do a special review on each of that uh, for you on another segment. 
So be sure to check that out. We will be sure to put the link to that on this page as well. And so if you... Um, would like to have any comments or questions, you can do so on the website if you would like to type it into the comment box or just give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Don't be shy. We love your questions and comments and we will be sure to pass them along and get you the answers back as well. So until next time. Kabir, I have a question. What is oil pulling? Oh, well, you, um, after rinsing the, cleansing the tongue, then gargle with a little salt water. And then um, uh, take about a tablespoon of a, traditionally sesame oil. If you have an mm. uh, infection, a tooth infection, or, or some type of infection, maybe in the mouth, you could use uh, coconut oil, which has more antiviral, antibacterial qualities. But generally, a sesame oil is what's used. Um, and you put it in your mouth 